all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Yep. I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Follow us into Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, and TikTok at All Bad Things Pod. Email us allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook discussion group and our Discord. And for the third season in a row, and the fourth <laughs> season in five years, the Buffalo Bills have qualified for the playoffs. You can slow clap it. That's okay. That still works. I thought you were going to say, welcome to 2022 or something. Well, whatever. You know, like, (laughs) welcome to 2022 Bills and Carolina Hurricane style, who they came back from a four-goal deficit yesterday to Mm -hmm. score seven straight goals and win seven to four. There you go. So, as far as sports goes, not anything else, but as far as sports goes, (laughs) 2022 is off to a pretty good start. (laughs) um betty white died that's sad it is sad yeah although people putting out like i'm surprised a 99 year old woman died all of a sudden well that's kind of like like, with john madden when they said he he passed away unexpectedly at 85 85. yeah it's like (laughs) not not really like Like we can let people pass away expectedly or unexpectedly it doesn't i think it's just that he wasn't specifically sick or something but you know when you and your body reaches a certain point it's just like hey it's just just checking out the smallest thing could be like all right Mm -hmm. i'm i'm out that can happen at any age let alone Mm -hmm. when you're those ages so yeah Hmm. but either way (laughs) sad to lose both of them especially within a couple days of each other but they were they lived long Full lives. They were of eligible age. Of eligible death. Eligible age. That's terrible. I didn't say death. You did. I just said of eligible. Well, what eligible. eligible age did you mean? Uh, you know, death. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is our sixth calendar year that we have. It is had all bad things. We are coming up on our fifth. Anniversary. Yes, we are. That's wild. It is like in six months. Mm-hmm. That's bonkers. Maybe we should. Should we do another Zoom? Oh, I'm. I'm thinking we should do one even before that. Okay. Okay. So, Maybe yeah. episode uh, two fifty. That's just in a couple months. It is <laughs> a few months. But yeah, that'd be a good one to do it for. Those are those are easy milestones to get behind. Like two fifty, it sounds satisfying. Yeah. Right. It's not like oh, it's the two hundred and seventy third anniversary. Like yeah, well, you know. Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. It sounds tempting. Yeah, um, we had we had an okay holiday and everything because our last episode we recorded before Christmas even, and now we're recording this. It's the been day almost two weeks. Out, so. Yes, it's been almost two weeks since we recorded. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Um, I tested negative for COVID <laughs> for the first time ever getting tested. I managed to make it this long. But it's that fun time of year where is it a cold, is it allergies, or is it COVID? And in my case, it ended up being 
possibly a cold, possibly allergies. I'm still not entirely sure. Just a little congestion. And then you had a rough cold going on that yeah. went through your family. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not gotten it, yes. weirdly. Because um, usually I'm the one to get sick and you aren't. But um, but you're feeling better. That's good. Yes. So, otherwise. And, I, and I'm feeling much better with the Bills' victory today. <laughs> <laughs> that's what's that's what's healed you. It's just it's what's keeping me going. <laughs> you are very <laughs> very grinny <Yes. laughs> today. So this week in our um, we've got our rotation going nicely. Yes. We've got our uh, I do a script, you do a script, do a listener script, and you know I had a little stack of scripts and I was looking through. Okay, which one should we do? And I'm like, let me just make sure that I've covered all our scripts. I'm going to have to go back so much more thoroughly because I found a script that had been submitted a year and a half ago in June 2020, and it's really awful. I have not done it since then. Um, So this is a script submitted by Ren, and Ren, I am so sorry. Ren probably doesn't listen anymore. Right? Ren's like, I don't know. I stopped (laughs) listening to you guys a year ago. like, fuck these people. Exactly. They they my script. I don't blame them. (laughs) Do not blame them. If that is the case, you know what? That's somebody fair. tell somebody tell Ren. Does, any, does, I, I does anybody emailed, know Ren? I emailed them. Okay. I emailed them. Good. And I was like, I'm so email sorry. The, email their friends too, just in case. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That is inexcusable. So I'm going to be going back through all my emails. Um, hopefully I've caught the ones that have been messaged. <laughs> hopefully we'll dig up less than, I don't know, what what is that? June 2020. Uh, a year so, and a half ago. <laughs> I know. It's awful. Hopefully, hopefully we won't dig up any more 19-month-old oh scripts. Oh, my God. I feel so bad. I feel so badly. There's, there's going to be at least one in I there. Know. I know. And that's just shit. So I apologize. <laughs> From somebody else who doesn't listen to us anymore. Right. Somebody else who hates us because we're jerks. <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. Anyway. But we're doing it today. Yes, we are. So, this is the story. Like, imagine how different the world was in June 2020. Um, yes. I mean, it really was. And how much it wasn't, sadly. Mm. You know, it's ironic. We were safer from COVID. In June 2020. Than we are now. now. I mean, not safer from death from COVID. True. Necessarily, but like less likely to actually get it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, this is the story of the St. Francis Dam collapse. Oh. Mm-hmm. I have These heard of this good. before. So um, so now I'm starting run script. This episode is about the deadliest man-made disaster of the 20th century, the catastrophic failure of the St. Francis Dam. So this took place in L.A. or around L.A., Okay, I think. I think, okay. yeah. Because well, we'll this we'll is get into definitely... Uh, oh, and um, I think... Oh, God, I should have looked this up before. But I'm pretty sure... Yes, Eric also suggested this episode. Okay. And Ren suggested it and then uh, did the research. So, And Ren is one of our uh, listeners who enjoys the footnotes and uh, illustrations. The and, finer points yes, of, of research. Of exactly. Which you and I do not enjoy. <laughs> We're terrible at that. <laughs> We're like, finer points, fuck that. <laughs> Write it, get it done. Mm. So, you know the, um, the movie Mulholland Drive? I've never seen it. Really? No, okay. I've not. I saw it. I know. And I, I know it was of super it. Weird. That's what I've heard. It's David Lynch. Yeah. But I also watched it when I was like, I don't know, 
17 or something. Did that come out like 98, 99? Late 90s, in there. early 2000s. Um, I think I saw it when I was way too young to even come close to understanding David Lynch. I still don't completely understand David Lynch. No, he's, he's a bit tricky. He's the Twin one. Peaks guy. He, that's where he mm-hmm. hailed from, yes. But he also went on to make oh, he's done big time films, feature yeah. films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, Mulholland Drive is a, it's in L.A., I think. It's in actual L.A. It's about a murder, right? Well, <laughs> it's about a lot it? of things. Um, I think there might be a murder, but then there's also Naomi Watts. Gets murdered, right? No, I don't remember. <laughs> Somebody don't, gets murdered. It's I L.A. Anyway, anyway. It's an, it's an L.A. crime story. <laughs> anyway, this I think is going to go into where the name Mulholland came from. So William Mulholland called Bill. Oh, oh, of the drive. Or William <laughs> or William Mulholland and the drive. That was his <laughs> punk rock band. band name. Called Bill or the Chief was born in Belfast, Ireland on September 11th, 1855. He became a sailor at age 14, as you do back in the nothing else. Literally nothing 19th else. century. Literally nothing else to do in 1869 <laughs> in Ireland. Yeah, right. Might as well become a sailor. Uh, where he showed an aptitude for the calculations needed for accurate navigation. In 1874, he arrived in the United States, where he soon reunited with his younger brother and uncle. The two of them worked in their uncle's dry goods store in Pittsburgh for a while. Um, according to Wikipedia, dry goods included include textiles, personal care items, and ready-to-wear clothing. That is something interesting about, like, old-timey times is, like, they old, had general times. stores, yeah. dry goods stores, and was, like, And it was also of... the 1860s, and cocaine hadn't been discovered yet. <laughs> so they, they weren't selling they, cocaine. They would add that to the textile stores later. <laughs> No, you, to the chemists, uh, probably. Well, them do. Mm. Be like, would you like some cocaine with your jeans? <laughs> yes, I would. <laughs> your jeans that you starched within an entire <laughs> yeah. life, like the guy on Queer Eye. Your jeans that you'll only be able to wear twice because the second time you won't be able to peel them off your body. <laughs> but there's some cocaine in them. <laughs> you're, you're giddy today. You can tell the Bills won and clinched their playoff spot. You're like, you're giddy. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't, look, so happy. wasn't looking so good three weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> like, it really wasn't. An outbreak of tuberculosis spurred the family to join the sick rush to California. I had uh, not heard it, of that. As it does, yes. Uh, no, nobody in the family was sick. They were just afraid of getting sick. They went to Cali to run away from tuberculosis, basically. that's I never heard of the sick rush, but it makes sense if, like... Tuberculosis was a really rampant disease at the end of the at the end of the 19th century Mm -hmm. yes like if you got it like it was you're done you're You're done it's just a matter of time when Mulholland arrived in LA in 1877 it was a small town nothing like the LA we know today the transcontinental railway railway had arrived the year before but LA's growth was limited by one crucial factor can you guess uh no I can't no planes (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. No, I was, I, was, I was kidding about that one. It's actually what a lot of California has a problem with. Fresh water. Oh, well, sure. Yeah. They're surrounded by salt water. That is true. But See, I wasn't water thinking, has always been an issue. But I wasn't thinking it would be an issue because like, LA is also a port city. But salt water port. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm, not fresh water. Hmm. 
Mulholland got got a job working for the L.A. City Water Company, which, despite its name, was a private company, for which he cleaned the city's ditches of debris and dead animals. This was basically the bottom-tier job at the company, the kind of thing nobody else wanted to do. Mulholland worked his way up from this low-level position by teaching himself hydraulic engineering from textbooks he got from the city library. Um, Now, a background slash context note on engineering at the time, formal engineering education was associated with the military. Many civic non-military engineers learned on the job, not in classrooms. So what is today uh, a university Mm -hmm. education required job was an on-the-job Back then, I was like, anybody can learn it. (laughs) And what do you know? That's still the case today. Yeah. (laughs) In the early, well, anybody can learn it with the experience, the sure, the on-the-job training, yeah. In the early 1880s, Mulholland was put in charge of raising the height of one of L.A.'s oldest dams to hold more water. His success with this project saw him promoted to superintendent at age 31, so he climbed up the ladder pretty quick. In 1902, in order to address the growing city's need for even more water, the city of Los Angeles bought the L.A. City Water Company for $2 million, which as of 2019 would have been about $59.8 million. Due to his success and no-nonsense attitude, Mulholland was placed at the head of the new city water department. (laughs) And this is uh, photos of William the Chief Mulholland. Look at this fancy rascal, Ren said. He, he looks like, yes, he kind of does a little bit, yeah. <laughs> he looks very um, rugged. Yes. And well, dapper. That's just most people did back then. He looks like he belongs in the West in yes. the, around the turn of the century. He looks like he belongs amongst the trees, which, yes. which, which, is, which is where he is. Yes. Uh-huh. So, I think that's why so it looks reminds like, me. looks like he belongs there. <laughs> I think that's why he reminds me of Teddy Roosevelt. You know, because Teddy Roosevelt looked like he was at home in nature, which he was. He looked that way. That's a different story. I thought he was a big proponent of nature and natural spaces. I mean, he was a proponent of it, but he wasn't actually out and about in Mm. it. He came from a rich family. Well, but so he wasn't like a hunter and stuff? I didn't know that. He was photographed Mm. that way. For an appearance. Exactly. Image. Exactly. Imagecraft, huh? Mm -hmm. Oh, it worked, clearly. Yes, it did. But this guy, it's not an appearance thing with this dude. Like... You could tell, like, he just fought, like, a, a Sasquatch. <laughs> Barehanded. And then he was just like, yes. He's like, all right, cl- clear this tree out. This one right here. With LA's need for water growing critical, Mulholland knew the city needed a bigger dam with a bigger reservoir. The city couldn't continue to grow without a more reliable source of water. Not only would a reservoir provide a stable source of water for the city, but it would also provide hydroelectric power, addressing the city's growing need for electricity as well. Which, again, at this time mm-hmm. in the United States is, well... It's just starting up to be a major In the West, thing. I mean, it's been a thing in the world for a long time. I believe the Greeks invented it. Electricity? Um, hydroelectricity. Oh. Um, Energy yes. created by From water. water. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, they're power, hydroelectric electric power. Yes, yeah. but you've got to understand this is during the westward expansion mm-hmm. time and they're finding all sorts of these reservoirs and things and like holy shit, like we can do this, this and that. Well, and their towns are growing and they're mm-hmm. having to the infrastructure is mm-hmm. the thing, you know. Mhm. 
Um, now, something that was happening simultaneously, which was related to slash caused by LA's need for water, was an ongoing event called the California Water Wars. This was a conflict between the residents of the Owens Valley and the city of LA. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's the Owens Valley. And you can see it it's sort shaped of... shaped like a middle finger. <laughs> well, it's shaped like a lot of things, but... Um, it's shaped like a fuck you, this is our I don't, water. I, see, I don't think so, but uh, whatever. For um, So it looks... It's pretty much directly due north of LA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it, it goes right... It's right to the west of Death Valley National Park, so... Always wanted to go to Death Valley. Yeah, someday. Yeah. Um, so as LA expanded, the city sought to buy land in Owens Valley to build aqu- aqueducts and other mm-hmm. hydraulic projects, but kept this information secret from the Owens Valley residents. They did so in order to prevent the residents from asking exorbitant prices for their land. Once they knew how valuable it would be to the city, they were sure to ask for a much higher price than the land was actually worth. That, my friends, is called capitalism. Hmm. But while the city was still in the middle of quietly negotiating with residents, the secret found its way to the press. The residents, of course, were furious. They felt that the city had tried to swindle them and that the city had lied about its intentions. You know, I'll bet you anything that the dollop has covered the California water wars. This Probably. sounds exactly Yes, like right up there. Apparently. Mm-hmm. This led to a sort of political divide, deepening tensions about water rates. There was uncertainty about whether the city and her engineers were actually capable of building the vast systems L.A. needed. People's lives were being uprooted, and those same people were worried that it had been in vain. Even so, while the two sides battled it out in the press, a vote passed to fund the city's land purchases in the Owens Valley. This resulted in the construction of the Owens River Aqueduct, completed in 1913. A 233-mile-long, or 375 kilometers, aqueduct to bring water to L.A. Pretty solid. That is that is really long, yeah. However, since it did so by diverting water from the Owens River, it slowly brought economic ruin, ruin to the residents of the valley who depended on the river for their livelihood. This further increased tensions between Owens Valley residents and the city and resulted in some activists dynamiting part of the aqueduct. And the aqueduct is actually still in use today. So here's a uh, sabotage mm-hmm. of the aqueduct by dynamite. And note the person in the right-handed position. These pipes are huge. No yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah, they're taller than an adult human. And we know it's where uh, L.A. gets its water from since then. Where? From the Hoover Dam. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is all happening before the Hoover Dam was built. Oh yes, that's true. That's but not long before. Not right? long before, 19, but no, it was the twenties, was it? We no, nineteen nineteen thirties. Nineteen thirties. I believe it was finished in nineteen thirty eight or thirty nine. Mm. But it started in like nineteen thirty one. Okay, that's right. Because it was during the depression that they were building it. Because mm-hmm. people, that's right. I'm trying to remind myself of the script I wrote, <laughs> but that was I'm trying to remind myself of like things that actually happened. <laughs> That was over two years ago that we went to Vegas. So, With LA needing more and more water and with tensions rising between city officials and out-of-city residents whose water was being taken to quench LA's thirst, the stage was set for the building of the St. Francis Dam. 
So, the St. Francis Dam. The Owens River Aqueduct was bringing a lot of water to L.A., but this city still needed more. And more than that, the city needed a better needed better water security. If the, there's all this sabotage going sure. on. Any sabotage done to the aqueduct would disrupt water delivery for days, possibly weeks. Mulholland determined that building a dam and reservoir would provide a stable source of water for the city, so he and other city officials set about searching for a suitable site. Mulholland chose a site about 40 miles or 64 kilometers northwest of downtown L.A. called San Francisquito Canyon. Of course. It's like a San Francisco mosquito. Yeah. San Francisco. San Francisco. Francisquito Canyon, yes. The site was chosen because of a natural narrowing of the landscape within the canyon, which was ideal because it would minimize the size of the dam that would have to be built. That makes sense. There was also the fact that the upstream topography was favorable as a reservoir, since much of it was surrounded by mountainous terrain that would trap water. In addition to providing drinkable water, the proposed dam would also provide hydroelectric power. The San Francisco Canyon was for a further was further a favorable site for this, since the downhill path toward LA provided ample space for powerhouses to be built downstream. Powerhouse One was already in operation not far from the top of the proposed dam site, fed by the Owens River Aqueduct. However, there were also some concerns before the dam was even built. Residents were concerned that a dam would reduce water to their downstream properties and that they would be forced to leave, as had happened to the Owens Valley residents. There were also geologic concerns. The mid to upper parts of the hillside where a dam would be located were made of a moderately strong sandstone conglomerate. But below that, the hillside was composed of mica schist. I think that's how. S-C-H-I-S-T. Mica schist. That's my guess. That was cross-faulted in many areas, which was a potential source of weakness and instability. And you can kind of see in this illustration. Is that what that little graph is? Yeah. Cross-faulting. So it's like little, almost gashes. Mm -hmm. Like, um within so so faults that makes sense that there would be faults in there so the x's show potential stress points and breakage lines under the rock which are susceptible to shear under stress so basically this could crumble or collapse yeah that doesn't seem like a great place to build not anything no not really <laughs> oh it's also worth noting that the dam was constructive uh, constructed on a, a fault line <laughs> an inactive even, fault line even better <laughs> But as we know, so, just so, because... <laughs> so we also know that this project, there's no way it had insurance. Because there's no way anybody... Because well, nobody would... Oh, you're building something on an are, active fault line. Yeah, these are early... I don't know about insurance back in, in these... We did cover insurance we one did. day, but... Yeah. Mulholland designed the dam and the construction began in September of 1922. The dam was designed to be 208 feet high, or about 63.4 meters, and made That's of a... Con- it is. And made of a concrete arch, a design that is now called a gravity arch dam. I think... Sure. Maybe Hoover Dam was that? I feel like we've talked about gravity arches, uh, but the term didn't exist at the time. The first concrete for the dam was poured on August 17th, 1924. During initial construction, Mulholland added a wing dike to the design for the west side of the dam. This raised the overall height of the dam by 10 feet, or about 3 meters, allowing it to hold more water. The wing dike was 20 feet, or 6 meters tall, and 588 feet, or 179 meters long. 
As the St. Francis Dam was being constructed, the California Water Wars raged on, with several dynamite attacks being conducted on the Owens River Aqueduct. These eventually slowed and ceased when the major driving parties behind the attacks were arrested for conducting a fraudulent bank, which is a whole other thing. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's a whole other story, isn't it? A fraudulent bank. Hmm. For financing the project, well, maybe, or like, or that they were pretending to be a bank, but were just taking people's money. You know what they were? Pro- you know, this is during the 1920s. Yeah. You know what they were doing? Is mm. it was front money from like a fucking from like a uh, prohibition? Oh like yeah, out- yeah. Very well, could have been. That's mm-hmm. what it was. Mm-hmm. It was money they were trying to launder, and they got caught. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The job was finished on May 4th, 1926. So it took a little shy of two years. Once water was allowed to flow into the new reservoir behind the dam, the reservoir was three miles or 4.83 kilometers long, 200 feet or just shy of 61 meters deep, and 600 acres or 2.43 square kilometers in surface area. That feels large, but it's it's hard to really judge, right? (laughs) Its total capacity was 38,168 acre feet or about 12.4 billion gallons or for 47.08 times 10 to the 6th power cubic meters. I don't think we've ever had so, are, are, such are we, thorough are we, measures. Are we, are we mathing today? <laughs> we're is very much mathing. Is Ren that is, what we're doing? Ren is math, hardcore mathing here. But 12.4 billion gallons is the one that hits me. It sounds like a little bit. That's a lot. <laughs> just a tad. Just a skosh. On its downstream side, the dam had a shallow pond of water at the base, and the water went under a footbridge and passed down the canyon. Water fed into the downstream powerhouse, too, which was staffed by men who lived in a small village that had popped up around the powerhouse, complete with a school and store. That sounds like the Hoover Dam. Uh, remember that little town we drove through mm-hmm. on the way there? That was like the little... Where Those were all the all workers, workers lived. lived. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The all, da- the, all the laborers. Right. The downstream face of the dam was made in a stepped pattern. The steps themselves were each five feet high and... Uh, or 1.52 meters, and a varying horizontal width. The thickest was the one at the bottom at 5.5 feet, or 1.7 meters, and the one at the top was narrowest at just shy of 1.5 feet. If visitors wanted to, they could walk along the steps. In the center of the dam were five drainage outlets in vertical a vertical row that could be opened to release water from the reservoir. And we've got a picture here I'll show you in a sec. These can be compared to buttons on a jacket. You pop one when you're having a fat day. (laughs) (sighs) Spillways lined the top of the dam, allowing water to flow out if the water level was extremely high or if water needed to be released in an emergency. You can can Mm -hmm. see the steps. Yeah. And then the the, um, outlets and then the... How steep it is, too. It is steep. It is steep. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Okay, and we've got a like a little bit of a diagram. So here's the wing dike. Okay. The spillways, that's what we just saw a picture of. And then the drainage outlets. Okay. Okay. And you can kind of see what it's set up to protect, too. So it doesn't Yeah, get... uh-huh. So it doesn't go out that mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. Oh, <laughs> edits by Ren. I hope they help. They do help. They, that was that's yes, very very, so. very good notation of that picture. Some small cracks and seepages of water appeared shortly after the dam was completed. That doesn't seem great. But this was thought of as normal at the time. It's got to break in. Prevailing thought at the time was that concrete crack does it dried. 
And then you just filled in the cracks with some kind of filler. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Just, why yeah, not? Uh, whatever. There's a little. Uh, Let's there's a little. That. There's a little putty. I just put that right <laughs> over that crack right there. However, by 1927, hydrostatic pressure, meaning the pressure exerted by the water against the dam, be- behind the dam, increased. Larger cracks appeared in the dam's downstream face. Two long cracks running from top to bottom appeared about 80 feet or 24.3 meters apart, one on either side of the drainage outlets, and two additional smaller cracks later appeared at about a 45 degree angle from the sides of the dam. Mulholland was not surprised or concerned. As mentioned above, he thought this was normal. He ordered that the crowds would be, the crack, the cracks, crowds. Well, he, he, did, he did that too. <laughs> I was thinking grout and crack, and it came out krauts. krauts. Yeah, anyway. The cracks. I, it came out slang for Germans. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> and I did not mean it that way. The cracks filled with oakum, which is a mix of hemp and tar, and then had them sealed with cement grout. This does not sound good. Of course, because this is all bad things, trouble was quietly brewing as the months went by. In the first week of March 1928, this is only like four years after this was done, there were several rainstorms that filled the reservoir nearly to the top. By March 7th, 1928, the water level was only three inches, or about 7.6 centimeters, below the top of the dam. Can you imagine? You're just looking at that much little wiggle room. Because you're looking at, uh, this is impending doom. Yeah. The water level was so high that wind pushed water over the sure. top of the dam. Uh, I almost said dam. But <laughs> the, yeah. dam, the damn, the damn, damn, damn. Damn, so damn. Damn, damn, damn. Damn, 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 with an exclamation mark after the second dam. All right. Now we get into the collapse. On Monday, March 12th, 1928, the dam keeper... Tony Harnishfager was doing a routine inspection of the dam when he noticed a leak. I'm guessing that's not what you want to see when you're a dam keeper. Tony had seen, oh, well, Tony had seen leaks before. (laughs) But on this day, he noticed that the leaking water looked muddy. Muddy leaks were a bad sign. (laughs) Bad Bad sign. (laughs) Sorry. Because they could indicate that the foundation of the dam was dissolving which could then lead to catastrophic failure. Tony called his supervisors at 8 a.m. Mulholland and an assistant came out to inspect and assess the leak. Since the assistant was younger, he actually climbed down to look at the leak close up. He called back that the water appeared to be running clear, and Mulholland agreed from his vantage point. They determined that the leaking water only appeared muddy because it was mixing with dirt lower down on the dam. The three, well, that is muddy. <laughs> like, it sure. appears muddy because it is. The three men checked out another leak, which also appeared to be leaking clear water. Mulholland once again reassured the other two men that cracks in the concrete were normal. Quote, when concrete dries, it contracts, creating cracks. You will see these in curbs on the street any place. End quote. Yes, but the, the streets are not holding back billions of gallons of water. No, they're not. Thankfully. Yes. <laughs> After two hours of looking around, Mulholland and his assistant concluded that the dam was safe. They left at 12.30 p.m. and went back to L.A. The chief later said, quote, It never occurred to me that it was in danger. It was the driest dam of its size I ever saw in my life. End quote. Mm. 
the rest of the day was uneventful. People in San Francisco Canyon went to work, went to school, went home. Near midnight, workers in Powerhouse One monitoring the hydroelectric power output of the dam noticed that there was small fluctu- a small fluctuation in the power output, and then it suddenly dropped off to zero. I would think that would be a very mm-hmm. bad sign. Employees of Powerhouse One tried to call Powerhouse Two below the dam to find out what was going on, but the line was dead. A survey team from Powerhouse One went down to the reservoir to see what was going on. When they found that the lake was empty... That's... Uh, uh, it was three inches from the top. They sounded the alarm and called the central office in L.A., but by then, the flood was already far downstream, sweeping up sleeping people. Mm-hmm. Water from the dam rushed downstream at 18 miles per hour, or 29 kilometers per hour, in a wall as high as 140 feet. Jesus fucking Or 42.7 high. That's 14 stories. That's like that's, a, that's a tidal that's, wave. That's, that's a, a tsunami. That's, a, that's like a rogue wave. Yeah. That's like apocalyptic shit. Mm-hmm. In the middle of the night, too. Like, the people are sleeping. I hope nobody... That's around midnight. I hope nobody saw that. Wait, yeah, better not to know <laughs> that it was coming, right? On the upper rim of the canyon near the downstream powerhouse 2, a sleeping worker felt his house shaking violently as if there were an earthquake, which this part of the country, that would make sense, right? He went outside with a flashlight and approached the canyon edge. When he looked down into the canyon, he saw that powerhouse 2 was completely gone, except for the two turbines that generated power. Mm. It had been a 61-foot-high, or 18.6-meter, building made of concrete and reinforced steel. It and swept it away. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> just, in uh, ca- just in case you need a, a, a refresher this? Yeah. <laughs> on how uh-huh. powerful water is. Uh, uh, yes. Water is very <laughs> scary when moving at great speeds in great quantities. Indeed. Actually, just... One or the other is pretty terrifying. It doesn't even have to be both, but yeah. In the place where the cottages of the Powerhouse 2 employees and their families once stood down in the canyon, there was only mud and debris. Everything and everyone who had lived and worked there was gone. That is terrifying. The rush of water continued down the canyon, scouring the hills in its hillsides in its wake. It destroyed houses, barns, vineyards, and whole towns as it rushed toward the ocean. It slammed into the 200-foot-long or 60-meter Santa Clara Railroad Bridge and dragged it 300 feet or 91 meters downstream. The call finally made it to Mulholland's house. His daughter answered the phone, and when she woke him to give him the phone, she overheard him saying again and again, Please, God, don't let people be killed. Good luck with that. The Powerhouse One workers continued to call everyone they could, like local telephone operators who were able to place further calls for help and warning. They called as many local residents as they could reach, giving many people crucial time to escape. Train engineers were warned to stop their trains before they reached bridges likely to be washed out by the flood. That's that's big. Yeah, that could That's crucial. Yeah. One woman, Ethel Basolo, was warned by a neighbor who had received such a call. Ethel happened to be a former telephone switch operator, having just quit to have more time to take care of her children. Once she and her family had reached safety, Ethel left her children with some relatives and went to the telephone office to help. Other telephone switchboard heroes included Mrs. Carrie Johnson, Mrs. Ora Hill, Mrs. Mabel Bradley, Mrs. Matthew Marks, and Bertha Clark. Yeah, that's 
it's like the this is not a time where, where like a switchboard operator is like crucial a skill a major skill position yes yeah. mm-hmm by 1 a.m., the flood had reached the downstream town of Saugus as a wall, wall of water 55 feet or 17 meters high, or as a wall of, of that height, and was closing on Santa Paula, one of the most populous areas along the flood path. Get ready for a super awesome badass motorcycle police officer, Thornton Edwards, in Santa Paula. He received a call at home about the flood, and after instructing his wife to get their son and neighbors to safety, he jumped on his motorcycle, turned on the siren, and rode into action. He was quickly joined by a fellow motorcycle officer, Stanley Baker. They revved their bike engines as loudly as possible and drove up and down Santa Paula. The two of them managed to get most of the 7,000 residents of the town to safety. For his heroic actions, Edwards is known as the Paul Revere of the St. Francis Flood. Yeah. Um, And such a simple plan, too. Yeah. Like, we're going to rev our bike engines. Just wake them up. We got to wake people up and get people moving. Yep. Um, And then Ren also said, I don't know why Baker wasn't included in that, but okay. Because there was really two of them who did that, but... Plus, at this time, revving a bicycle... Bicycle. (laughs) A motorbike engine Mm -hmm. probably sounds like... Uh, like a fire drill in right. most offices. Yeah. <laughs> As the floodwaters neared the Pacific Ocean, the water grew to be two miles or 3.22 kilometers wide and slowed to about seven miles per hour or 11.3 kilometers per hour. They finally reached the ocean around 5.25 a.m. Jesus Christ. Almost five and a half hours after the dam first collapsed. 12.4 billion gallons of water, along with the debris it had picked up along the way, railroad ties, bits of houses, and certainly many bodies poured into the ocean. Mm. Finally, when the waters began to subside, people realized they had no real way to get information about what was going on to, to people who could help. Bridges were washed out and telephone lines were down. There's no internet, no cell phone reception, no satellites. Fortunately, 17-year-old Charles Primer, the son of the Santa Paula fire chief, was an amateur radio enthusiast. He managed to transmit a message in Morse code over the airways, hoping to reach anyone who was listening. The message was picked up by a radio instructor in Oakland, who relayed it via telephone to the San Francisco office of the Red Cross. Within a couple of hours, doctors and nurses were heading up to St. Paula from Los Angeles. This is like old-fashioned, badass communication going Plus, on. Plus, we know that the uh, Red Cross was formed during the uh, the flood in um, in Pennsylvania. Johnstown? Yes. Was it? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Which would, would have been about 30 years before this. That was, yeah, that was in the 1800s. Late 1800s, yeah. yeah. Survivors later recounted their experiences. Those who were not warned by neighbors or phone calls mostly woke due to the noise, which has been described like it's described as a sound like a tornado or a freight train. Many escaped by running to higher ground or, if they had more time, getting into their cars and driving uphill. Some people were slept, swept along by the flood but somehow survived. One woman managed to climb aboard a floating mattress. One man was slammed against the trunk of a tree climbed it and hung on for hours an elderly man kept his wife above the water level by holding her by the hair jesus whatever you gotta do literally some survive you know in those survival situations like you realize how fucking hardcore the survival does not matter the pain that is is gonna happen in those moments Mm -hmm. you just have to get through it Mm -hmm. and then you'll be like okay 
it takes a lot for the human body to decide to give up just because yeah. of pain. Our survival instinct is very strong. Some survivors were the lone members of their family to make it out of the flood purely by being the first out the door. The water swept the rest of the house away in a single instance. Mm. Instant. On the morning of March 13, 1928, crews began to survey the damage. Mulholland visited the site. People recalled that he was grim and trembling. Um, yeah. Yeah. Only one part of the dam remained standing. A huge monolith that was quickly dubbed the Tombstone. Wow. No, I can see it. it yeah. Doesn't it, it look like that? It almost looks like it was meant to be there on purpose. Like a monument or something, mm-hmm. yeah. Pieces of the dam had been washed downstream, the largest of which weighed approximately 10,000 tons, or 9,000 metric tons, and was found about three quarters of a mile, or 1.2 kilometers, below the dam site, which is really damn far for something so heavy. Yes, it is. Um, Relief and welfare money poured in. By March 18th, a fund established by the LA Times had reached $55,542.18, or about $832,772 today. The National Red Cross, American Legion, Salvation Army sent help, food, clothing, and other necessities. However, many local people also stepped up to help with clearing away debris, housing the newly homeless, and even as volunteer and even as volunteers to turn their homes into makeshift morgues. Wow, that's pr- that's some dedication there, some willingness to be like, yes, you can store dead bodies in my home. That's that's hardcore. One thing that I think was super weird was that the Boy Scouts came in to help, and their job was to mark bodies that they found with white flags on poles. They're giving, like, little boys that job. Jeez, talk about scarring a child for life. (laughs) It's also the 1920s. This is pretty crash, though. Kids are just out of, like, oh, we don't have to go to work anymore. That's that's fair. That's fair. This is, like, also a year and a half before the crash. Mm -hmm. This is just before the Depression, too. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Where they would once again be putting yeah, white yeah. flags on mm-hmm. bodies, just mm-hmm. that were they were jumping off of buildings in, on Jesus, Wall Street. Yeah, people worked in shifts that ranged in length from four to eight hours all day and night. So, some trigger warnings for sad and grisly things. Mm. Uh, one victim had been torn in half at the waist, and his legs were found miles downstream of his torso. A woman was found with loose flesh between her fingers, remnants of her baby who had been torn away from her by the body. By the water. No, sorry. By the water. So, ugh. One corpse was found buried straight up and down in silt. All that was initially visible was their fingers. Mm. Many bodies that were recovered had been badly battered by the force of the water and debris to the point where skulls were beaten out of shape. Sure. Yeah. All, all, well, wow. all, all the force, like yeah, think that's, about all the force. It, it that is. is water can tear a human in half. Think of that. Yeah. That is terrifying. Um, so uh, because Ren didn't announce the death toll up at the top, my thought was like thousands. Yeah, or that something. was mine too. In total, the official death count was 431 people killed. That's way less than I thought it was going to be. Now, Ren also says, although an exact number is hard to determine, as many bodies were buried in sand and silt in the canyon, silt had been deposited at depths up to five feet or carried out to sea. Fucking crazy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Bodies were found as far south as the Mexican border. (laughs) 
When counting finished, at least 65 bodies were still unidentified and more than 100 known dead were never found. However, there is some suspicion that some people survived and used the disaster as an excuse to run away and start a new life elsewhere. This is really hard to prove. More theory than fact. It's one person might have done it. Maybe somebody did that, but it's speculative. Yeah. Yeah. This is a direct quote from Wikipedia, since I don't think I can really state it better. Quote, the collapse of the St. Francis Dam is considered to be one of the worst American civil engineering disasters of the 20th century and remains the second greatest loss of life in California's history after. Could it be the. No, it wouldn't be. It's got to be the 1906 earthquake. Yep, you got yeah, you got it. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was going to say, it's not, not, not 1989. No, that was... Yeah, that was... There was infrastructure some, in place yes, to help Yes, 400 that. some people did not die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. It was less than that. Somehow. Yeah. The body of Tony uh, Harshenfeger... I hope I pronounced that right. The pronunciation guide's on a, on a different page. Um, the dam keeper who had spotted the leaks earlier in the day was never found. Hmm. Uh, yeah. And here's a de- detailed picture of the collapse. Uh, that that dam keeper is like literally buried into the. Well, people were buried feet under the sun. Yeah. So yeah. Even among mass burials and the grisly scene in morgues, people celebrated small victories and local heroes. Sure. A baby was found amongst the wreckage, and initially rescue workers thought she was dead, but then they realized she was still breathing. Somehow she had survived, though her mother was gone. One thing that I thought was pretty cool was that Thornton Edwards, the motorcycle Paul Revere guy, his house was swept away in the flood and he was practically penniless. But members of the traffic squad took up a collection and Santa Paula made him police chief, which allowed him to purchase a better home further from the river and increased his salary. The switchboard girls, as they were known, were given bonuses by their bosses and hailed as heroes for having saved so many lives with their phone calls. No shit. Yeah, because they really did. They did, Like This this isn't... You gotta remember, this is a fucking switchboard. I don't know if anybody's Mm. ever actually seen one of those. I've seen in movies. But you would just see them with your uncle. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, You're literally having to take, like, a peg out of Mm -hmm. something... Mm -hmm. Put it into something mm-hmm. else, hoping that it will relay. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, then you're going to try this. Then you're going to... Mm-hmm. It's... Yeah. Because Chad, who we everybody met last mm-hmm. week, his dad worked for the phone company. He did. Years, right? And so he had all sorts had a, of... Literally had a switchboard in his fucking basement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, did it... Was it still functional or was it... I don't think so. Like no. It was the... It, it, was, uh, it was a giant thing. Yeah. That they needed to get rid of at some point. But this is still pretty... Nifty. Yeah. If, if not useful. <laughs> At least it was interesting. <laughs> I'd rather see one in a museum than in my basement. But... That's fair. <laughs> I, I, wonder, I wonder if Chad's mom feels the same way. Like, why is this in our house? Pretty sure she did. <laughs> it's an understatement to say that people were pissed at all of this. A hand-painted sign appeared in Santa Paula with the words Hang Mulholland. Mm. Yeah, and you can see where this guy would be the one who was, like, targeted for this. Like, understandably. Rightfully so. Understandably. Yeah. Over a dozen investigations were opened into the cause of the dam's failure, eight of which began by the weekend following the collapse. Almost all of the investigations were staffed by panels of engineers and geologists. Good. That should... 
be exactly how it is. <laughs> that should always be how it is. Right? For, for things but like if, that. But if it happened now, see, even nowadays... Congress people. And- well, no, it's still staffed by geologists and, you know, engineers. And it's just like, where did you get your geology degree? Right. Or engineering degree? Like, my father said that somebody else said that it, that's not that good. Well, we think we're, we know better than, like, than MDs experts now with COVID and shit. So, yeah. How do you know you have COVID? Are you a scientist? (laughs) Uh, People were particularly interested in not only understanding the cause of the St. Francis Dam collapse, but knowing who to blame and quickly. The Swing-Johnson bill in Congress, which had first been filed in 1922 and failed to be voted on in three successive Congresses, had just been presented to Congress again. And And do you know what was part of this bill? The funding for constructing the Hoover Dam. Oh, so understandably, nice. people in support of the bill wanted to be sure that this catastrophe wouldn't hamper its progress. In response to the collapse, the U.S. Secretary of the Interior ordered all fifty government dams and re- reservoirs to be inspected. False information was rampant. A pamphlet was printed in L.A. that showed a doctored photo of the tombstone with water rushing past it, in the wrong direction, in broad daylight. The death toll was inflated or played down depending on the interests or goals of the reporting agency. Because there were no photos or accounts of the collapse itself, all investigative bodies had to do had to go on were the survivors' accounts, some of which could not be specifically trusted due to PTSD, although it wasn't called uh, that at the time. Yeah. And the fact that the event came on so suddenly in the middle of the night. Survivors and the families of the deceased were able to apply for financial help to assist with the cost of relocation and funerals. Eventually, uh, the, the, we don't even have that really now. Like, you have to get charity help for that. Eventually, That's kind of what that was, though. Yeah. yeah. Eventually, the results of the various studies were released. Though there was some variability, they agreed for the most part that the cause of the collapse was the ground underneath the dam. The type of rock in that area, particularly along the western end of the dam, was determined to be of inferior strength to the point where it practically became soft when wet. The hydrologic scour along the western side of the dam had led to this conclusion. The following is copied straight from Wikipedia, which cites the report prepared by the Los Angeles City Council. Quote, Having examined all the evidence which it has been able to obtain to date reports its conclusion as follows. One, the type and dimensions of the dam were amply sufficient if based on suitable foundation. Two, the concrete of which the dam was built was of ample strength to resist the stresses to which it would normally be subjected. Three, the failure cannot be laid to movement of the earth's crust. Four, the dam failed as a result of defective foundations. Five, this failure reflects in no way the stability of a well-designed gravity dam properly founded on on suitable bedrock, end quote. So they're basically like, it was the foundation problem. But this shouldn't be a problem if you build a dam properly on the right foundation. Which, it makes sense that they would want to emphasize that. Because yeah. if, hey, we're going to make a, we're wanting to make a new dam and we want to make it really clear that it can be done properly. In summary, they found that the dam itself was sound, but the failure was caused by the geologic conditions it was built in. Although this was the leading theory, some thought that the cause of the collapse could have been sabotaged by bomb or other explosive as a continuation of the California water wars. 
However, ah, it was okay. extremely difficult to determine if an explosive so, had been detonated so, at the so dam it, since all the evidence would have been long since washed away. So like a hundred years later, it's like blaming it on Antifa. <laughs> right. But Or BLM. But here's the thing. If they saw they saw cracks and muddy water potentially. And they saw it the whole fucking time. Nobody reported an explosion sound. Uh, yeah, just just the water. Uh, so. Yeah, because those people who could have reported the explosion sound are now dead. <laughs> Because that's literally the last fucking thing they heard. Well, and people on the other side of it who didn't get washed away. Just, yeah, just. <laughs> Antifa! Da, 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 da. Antifa! Antifa. Ultimately, a formal inquest was initiated to investigate the Bureau of Waterworks and Supply, as well as Mulholland. After examining the evidence, the inquest jury determined that one of the causative factors amounted to an error in engineering judgment in choosing the San Francisco Canyon as the dam site. They placed the, excuse me, they placed the blame for this error on the Bureau of Waterworks and Supply and Mulholland, but cleared both of criminal culpability because they could mm. not have known that the underlying rock was unstable. So maybe more poor judgment than I was, yeah, deliberate negligence or I was going to say, that this doesn't necessarily seem criminal to me. It mm. just seems mm. maybe hastily done, but... Or you know, just not properly investigated, but uh, yeah. how, how y- but, you but, don't but, know but what we're you talking, don't know. Yeah, exactly. We're talking about... Uh, 1924 knowledge. Uh, yeah. Land, you know... Mm-hmm. Not conservation is the wrong word, but no. Okay, we're gonna put this thing here. Let's check these things out. Okay, well they all check out. Build it. Yeah, they maybe didn't know what they should have been looking for in this case. Yeah. Mulholland retired on December first, nineteen twenty-eight, but was retained as chief consulting engineer. According to his daughter, the catastrophe took an enormous mental toll on him, and he soon retreated into a life of near isolation before dying at 79 in 1935. Yeah, I I mean, it sure sounded like he really was traumatized by it. Understandably, understandably, that'd be really hard to come back from. The tombstone, the section of the dam that still stood after the collapse, was toppled with dynamite in May of 1929. I think they actually should have left it. I mean, this I, is 1929. I you know? guess, they're, not, but they're thinking of clearing the land for other that's true. or whatever. They're not. And maybe it's a monument monument that people didn't want to look at and be that's like, "That's true too." Uh, you know, that there's something to be said for that. You have to be careful with monuments. Yeah. Make sure that they're at a place where someone can decide to deliberately go. But <laughs> make sure, make sure monuments are in a place where, like, oh yeah, we could blow it up too. <laughs> <laughs> the failure of fifty fifty. The failure of the St. Francis Dam led to legislature, legislation that updated the dam safety program in California, providing stricter guidance and more oversight from governing and regulative bodies on dam construction. The state also passed laws to regulate civil engineering by creating the State Board of Registration for Civil Engineers in 1929, now known as the Board for Professional Ear Engineers Ears Professional Ears Professional, Professional ears. Engineers Land Surveyors and Geologists. Today, California has one of the strictest dam control programs in the country. It would be nice if I could say that. I think maybe Ren forgot that there was a sentence oh, there. Okay. I have done. I've written so much worse. <laughs> I just like don't finish half half of my paragraph. Just runs so. off. Anyway, never, there, never returns. Uh, it would be nice. Something would be nice. It, it would be there nice. There we go. 
Computer reconstructions and simulations of the dam collapse have been conducted since the late 1980s in an effort to better understand not only the underlying cause of the dam failure, but also determine who was actually to blame. They do the same thing with earthquakes, too. Run computer simulations of, all right, this is the data we know. Even decades after the fact. Yes. Like, we're going to plug this in Mm -hmm. and see. What can we learn from it now? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The main focus of the simulations was on determining how the various pieces of the dam were deposited where they ended up after the dam broke apart. So they're deducting, they're going backwards. In the original 1928 investigations, surveyors had drawn up a jigsaw puzzle of the pieces of the dam that had been found, gave each one a number, and marked on a map where they had ended up. They hypothesized that the pieces that had been discovered farther downstream were likely to have been carried away in the initial flow of the flood when the water's power was greatest. That makes sense. This, sure, because when it first breaks open, right, and that's going to be... The strongest rushing water. Yeah, yes. This information was used to form a general timeline of the collapse, although one piece was never found. Huh. So here's sort of their little their reconstruction. Okay. Hmm, that's interesting. Well, this is like the debris field, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, like yeah, like the path be. of where the water went. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got. Yeah, because here's all yeah. the sections. Yeah. J. David Rogers, a civil engineer at UC Berkeley, was particularly interested in this missing section and wanted to look into whether the conclusions drawn by the original investigations were correct. He applied more recent geologic studies as well as computer simulations, and he discovered that the turbid waters, meaning waters full of sediment and debris, can reduce the effective weight of submerged objects, making them easier to be carried along by water. So it basically makes them float better. In the, in the case of the particular sediment present in the area around the St. Francis Dam, the weight of items carried by the water could be reduced by as much as 62%. So that big piece of the dam that weighed 10,000 tons or 9,000 metric tons was that was found three quarters of a mile below the dam site could have effectively been reduced to a weight of 3,800 tons or 3,420 metric tons, which is still heavy. <laughs> what, still whatever. Heavy. <laughs> He's just an engineer. I'm going to follow. I'm going to take the advice of some guy on the Internet. Instead. Do your own research. Yes. Do I'm your saying. own research, people. <laughs> Do your own. Jesus Figure Christ. out quadratic equations uh chaos math do that on your do that on your you, own you know it's so funny we do our own research and think about how wrong we are i know so many I times fucking... <laughs> i do not trust damn you damn you wikipedia <laughs> you are wrong again rogers also looked at the geology of the east abutment which had mostly been resolved of culpability by the 1928 investigations more recent geological studies had showed that the area had been the site of paleo landslides or landslides that happened before historical records indeed this continued to the time of the saint francis dam oh so it was kind of an area that was prone prone to to this from well, which is back. well, which is why they built a fucking dam in the first place. Because they wanted it to go downhill, right? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, this continued to this time of the St. Francis Dam, since drivers who had passed on the road along the east abutment had seen dips as much as twelve feet in the road in the days <laughs> leading up to the collapse. Holy know, shit! Right? Oh well. Like, how do you investigate a dick? A, a dick? A, a dip? <laughs> <laughs> that's twelve feet. Like. Did you, <laughs> No, like, we're just thinking of a 12-foot dick. Yes, we are. <laughs> but, like, 
Like mm. you don't like run over one of those and like, oh, I think oh that was a twelve foot dip. Like I guess like, that's just, just, you the just road. you're just like Well, maybe in nineteen twenty eight you do. I guess you're just walking. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, well, this is this is not well, good. Also the cars could go what, like ten miles an hour or something? No, like they could then? are you kidding? They could go like twenty. <laughs> oh, okay. Speed demons. <laughs> no, they could go like twenty five or thirty, which at the time was, was like fast. Like you better put on your goggles, like we're fucking we're <laughs> with moving. your little leather helmet. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and your ascot. We're, we're going on an adventure. <laughs> he thought that the long history of landslides in the area might have something to do with the notorious missing section of the dam. By applying a method called key block analysis, which assumes that certain parts of a structure are critical to the structure's integrity, Rogers figured out that the missing section was a part of the dam that would have become unstable when the reservoir level rose to within seven feet or twenty-one or sorry, two point one meters of the spillway. And remember, this water was only three inches below That's that. Fucking so, insane. Yeah. From this information, Rogers concluded that the missing section was the first part to give way. His hypothesized... Which is probably why it's also missing. Right. So his hypothesized timeline goes like this. The east abutment was in the process of a slow landslide. And slow as in occurring over the course of years, which is what was causing the cracks. The abutment reached a sudden tipping point that caused a massive landslide. And dumping, it was done. Yep, tons of soil and rock into the reservoir. This put pressure on the upstream side of the dam, which caused the key block missing section to fail, slip on its foundation, releasing water from the underside of the dam. When that crucial part of the dam failed, the rest of the dam was no longer structurally sound, with the odd exception of the tombstone, which stayed there. As the water rushed out of the bottom of the dam, they stirred up dirt and sediment from the reservoir and surrounding area, making the waters more viscous. This temporarily slowed the outflow until the pressure became too great, at which point uh, blocks five and seven, which are on that, on that map, uh, broke off from the rest of the dam. The western portion of the structure tilted and rotated eastward, causing blocks 11 and 16 to shear off, undermining the wing dike that one thing along the one side that we saw in the picture which was also the last thing that they added yeah that was they, they had added to that yeah mm-hmm. what little was left supporting the wing dike was next it broke apart and was carried downstream the tombstone was then surrounded by collapsing concrete as the east abutment landslide deposited more rocks and soil on top of blocks five and seven the rest of the blocks were either deposited close by or carried downstream on the turbid water Though this is only a guess, it's the best we have for now, and it may be all we ever know about how the collapse truly occurred. The missing section may never be found, but it was clearly instrumental in the collapse of the dam. In 2013, it was estimated that at least $21 billion would be needed to address dam updates and reconstructions in the U.S. alone. According to FEMA, the average age of a dam in the U.S. is over 50 years old. If you would like to see the state of dams where you live, visit infrastructurereportcard.org. We talked about that a little bit in the Tacoma Falls episode. Yep, it's very scary and very sad. By the way, you know what $20 billion would mean if we had to chip that off of our... Military spending? Of our defense fund? It's... It's barely any of it. It's less than... It's less than a fucking tenth. It's so little. It's so little. It's just like here. Like I've got, it's just like when somebody asks you for money and you're, you're feeling generous, they're like, here, I've got $5. Like that's what, 
That's what giving $20 billion yeah. from the defense mm-hmm. fund would be. It'll be mm-hmm. like, all right, we're going to fix all of this. Like, here, here's $5. And they're, they're like, oh, right. thank you. We can fix all of the dams and mm-hmm. all of our infrastructure in the United States, which isn't that what we're trying to defend? David, we're building back better, <laughs> don't you know? Like, apparently there will come to be a point where there's nothing left to defend. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except the 1%. <laughs> yeah. That's what well, they want in the first place, so. Yes. Um... So, um, like, like, unfucking, like, un- like, how can you not just, like, tomorrow, like, make that happen? Like, tomorrow, I worked with uh, these two other people that also had common sense, and we decided to divert $20 billion into fixing all this shit. Yeah. Like, how hard would that be to do? Mm-hmm. I, I, Capitalism I, makes it very difficult. I, I guess. Um, Ren also gave a link that we'll have to check out, um, a video of a dam detonation so that you can kind of see what it, it sort of looks like if something I've were seen, to accidentally collapse. I've seen the, uh, I, I've seen the video of a dam detonation to build one, not to Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the seaway where I grew up was, there were certain parts of the river and certain parts of the, like that mm-hmm. valley that they had to clear bla- out, blast yeah. apart. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking back on, on Ren's email. So first off, I had told Ren this afternoon, like, I'm so sorry that we forgot about this. a great this. episode, too. And Ren, it was great. And Ren was like, oh, yay, LOL, truth be told, I forgot about this one, too. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're like, all bad what? Yeah. <laughs> like, was that a podcast? But I neglected to read this up at the top. So when Ren sent this in, they also said, if you need more info about the collapse, I highly recommend Flood Path, the deadliest man-made disaster of the 20th of 20th century America and the making of modern Los Angeles by John Wilkman. Um, she's, or they say that, sorry, my apologies. Uh, they, uh, they say, actually, I'd say get a copy regardless if you can, because the pictures and diagrams are really helpful and fun to look at. That's cool. And then also, I should definitely should have said this at the top. Here's Ren's bio. Uh, I'm a science communicator and water research resource oh engineer. So no wonder this is also very clear. Why do people like you listen to I know. us? <laughs> Why do smart people listen to us? I don't get it. Um, and I write young adult novels under a pen name. That's very, very cool. Nice. Very cool. We have multiple authors. That's awesome. I use the name Ren, and I prefer they, them pronouns. So if you mention me, I'd really appreciate it if you use them naturally. Also, I've heard mentioned that y'all talk some smack about Cleveland at some point. So yes, I'm guessing do. I should skip the 10 cent beer episode. Oh, we already did it. No, well, so they started listening last year. uh, Oh, no, listen to it. Listen to it. I'm a native Clevelander, and I live in the city, so if you're ever in the Cleveland area, and if this goddamn virus ever goes away, and that was like a year and a half ago. I I was in Cleveland in uh, November of 2019. I wish I'd known that uh, Ren was out there (laughs) at that point. Drop me an email, and I can suggest where to go, where to eat, and where to stay, including vegan-friendly food. It's actually a really cool place to live. That's awesome. I didn't, I mean... The only thing I took away from Cleveland after going there was, like, it kind of felt empty. Like, that's the only hmm. thing I took, like, I've been... It didn't seem bustling? No, yeah. it, it didn't. But everywhere I went to was fun. Mm-hmm. Except, except for the game. Well, because the Bills, the Bills lost. lost. <laughs> Against <laughs> the Browns. Yes. But, um, but even the game was fun. The atmosphere was fun. But... Like, after the game and, like, hanging out and stuff, like, it's like, because we stayed literally in downtown. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's go out and it just, there weren't people around. It yeah. was it was weird. Huh. Maybe like, it was like, cold. 
No, it really wasn't that day. Like, like normally it is, but that day it wasn't. But like Baltimore, like people are out. Uh, Well, obviously Miami. Mm -hmm. Um, But like Charlotte, like people are out, Mm -hmm. you know, even in Cleveland, it was just kind of like. That's interesting. I don't know. I wonder if it was, it was something weird. about when you went or something. It could have been. And then this was terrible because I didn't see this in time and decided to do this last minute. But Ren said, two last requests. If you could drink some Cleveland beer during this episode, that'd be awesome. Sorry, we did not. Uh, well, I drank uh, Bud Light Platinum and a Miller Light, which are both available in Cleveland. <laughs> yes. And I had a Blue Moon Mango Wheat. It's also available somewhere, Sorry, somewhere in Cleveland. Well, and then Ren made a really good suggestion. Um, I think y'all had the Great Lakes Brewing Company at Edmund Fitzgerald Porter during the Edmund Fitzgerald episode, we did. right? Yes, we did. Uh, but GLBC Dortmunder Gold is the flagship of Cleveland. Yes, I, I have had that. Is it good? I don't remember, but oh, I know okay. I've had it. <laughs> uh, and second, David, please have a BLT for me from Merritt's. I think they have an <laughs> LT sandwich that would be vegan for Rachel if you get it without the mayo. Oh, but where's okay. Merritt's? Is that in Cleveland, do you figure? I don't, I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, well, that that was very good research, Ren. Thank you so much. Thank you for being such a smart person who writes smart scripts. I mean, that was just, very cool. I mean, and just the fucking horrifying. And then beautiful footnote yes. references. A whole page worth. Yes. Fantastic. I, I love it when, um, well, first of all, we appreciate every listener. Yes, script. we do. Trust Yes, we me. do. Even, even 19 months later. Yes. You're, you're, <laughs> you're a third especially, of what we put out right especially now. Especially 19 months later. Yes. Yeah. It, literally, our listeners do a third of the work now. Yes. And we thank <laughs> so, you for it. So much. We thank you. But I, I also, well, what I really love is people generally pick things they're interested yes, in, right? Yes, absolutely. And or things that they have expertise in, like Ren, or, and all, in and, this case. and I'm going to say also maybe attached to, and in some cases, like all of the above. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's, or yeah. went through, like mm-hmm. Al's script about the tornado. Well, I, th- and- I think that's why it was fun for the audience and fun for Chad and fun for everybody involved. Uh-huh. All right. If we're going to do Woodstock 99, because mm-hmm. you and I, we went back and forth on that like yeah. what whether we would do it or yeah. not because i think we both felt like it's mostly a crime story a little bit it's like but i know somebody who was there yeah. like i think it worked. like the elements shape up to be it's also like a just a, mm-hmm. a shit storm which, yes which is what mm-hmm. it was but now we have somebody who was there to experience it and give mm-hmm. their point of view. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how it is with people in their listener scripts. Mm-hmm. Either they have a personal point of view. Right. Or it's something that happens. It's something some within their or, within their periphery. Or interest. Yes. Like their, their major interest. Like um, when we first started the show, the reason we started with the Station Nightclub fires because we I got interested, interested in, in disasters <laughs> by looking up nightclub fires on wikipedia so yeah yeah by the way that's coming up on its 18th anniversary oh wow Uh, about a month from now i believe Mm. you are coming up on your 45th anniversary of life i don't know what that means (laughs) (laughs) what what does that mean two weeks from today in (laughs) fact you're um you're gonna get eaten by a a brontorock what is that from (laughs) what are you doing it's from it's from, don't look up. It is from Don't okay. Look Up. <laughs> we, we, we don't know what that means. <laughs> All right. But by the way, mm-hmm. a plug for that too. Check out that movie. It was don't hilarious. Look up. Yes. Gotcha. 
All right. Should we sign off, get this uploaded so that we can get it out Monday morning? <laughs> and probably stop talking uh, to the to the joys of our listeners. Yes, yes. But Thank that, you, Ren. Wonderful script. We appreciate it. Um, I need the... Do we have an official title? Oh, or? Uh, the St. Francis Dam Collapse, I think, is... It's not really titled of 1920-something. 28. 28. Yep. Okay. The St. Francis Dam Collapse, I think, is what we'll call it. So that was the St. Francis Dam Collapse of 1928. I'm guessing that'd be the only one. but I'll just call it the St. Francis Dam Collapse, I think. Yeah. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. And we'll see you next week.